Our scripture reading today comes from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the reading of God's word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the ones who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, again, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, before I deliver God's word today, uh, I do want to take a moment to address uh, what has been yet another heavy week in our nation. Uh, it seems like we might as well just build time to grieve into all of our services moving forward because it just feels like every few days there's another horrible tragedy we have to read about in the news. And these are just the ones that go viral. You know, there are so many stories we never hear about, so many families torn apart, so many acts of violence that never make headlines. And um, sometimes I wonder if even that is God's grace to us, because I honestly don't know how much grief a heart can handle. And, and this week there's been a lot. You know, more attacks on the Asian community, uh, another school shooting in Knoxville, um, the mass shooting uh, we just read about in Indiana, and all of these events on the heels of the killing of Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man who was shot during a traffic stop last Sunday. You know, I specifically chose not to watch that video, but I foolishly did watch another video that was released this week of 13-year-old Adam Toledo who was also fatally shot by a police officer in Chicago last month. And uh, here's why I'm tired. And I'm just going to brace myself for the emails I'll probably get tomorrow. Um, but every time something like this happens, it seems like these days uh, there's this mad dash to find information in an attempt to justify why human beings created in the image of God deserve to die. Like, I don't know why that's a thing. Now trust me, I believe in seeking out the truth and I understand narratives get hijacked all the time by the left and the right. I understand that different people have different agendas. But having grieved alongside many families who've lost loved ones this past year, my first thought has never been to ask, what could your loved one have done differently to avoid death? And I don't say that to be self-righteous. Um, I say that because I really think social media and our relative proximity to these events have made us all numb to the fact that the bottom line is that these tra tragedies, which honestly can no longer be seen as isolated events, they leave voids in families and in communities that reverberate generation to generation. And if you think grieving that void aligns you too closely to a political party, or automatically means you have to hate a certain group of people, that in and of itself is the problem. 
We live in this either-or society where doing or saying one thing puts you in a box. That means you also have to believe in X, Y, and Z. And as Christians, we don't have to fall into this trap. We don't have to believe that all law enforcement is bad in order to grieve the death of a black man at the hands of a police officer. I have an uncle who's a police officer, and he's as good of a man as they come. We don't have to believe all rioting and looting is good to grieve the collective pain and trauma of a community that less than a year ago witnessed another one of their own, George Floyd, be killed with a knee pressed on his neck for 9 minutes and 29 seconds. Even if we disagree on what society needs to do to fill the voids that are caused by these tragedies, even if we disagree with people on both sides who are exploiting crises like these to push their own agendas, can we weep with those who weep? Paul doesn't say weep with those who weep, but only if their narrative aligns with yours. No, he says weep with those who weep, period. And so before we get into the word today, can, can I ask you to bow with me as I say a word of prayer? God of mercy, we're tired. We're tired not only of the senseless tragedies that continue to take place in our nation, uh, we're tired of the nonstop rhetoric, the noise from both sides that seek to turn the loss of those made in your image into issues that need to be argued. We repent of the ways that as Christians, we've lost sight of your heart, not only in the ways we respond to tragedies like these, but in the ways we engage others about these tragedies. Lord, help us to be a different kind of people. Give us eyes to see the way you see. Give us ears to listen to those who are hurting. And give us grace, because we know we're going to get it wrong a lot. Unite our hearts this morning as we hear your word. We exalt you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, well, again, for those of you just joining us, uh, welcome to our live stream service here at Citizens. Uh, I'm so happy that I won't have to say that for much longer. Um, as you just heard in the announcements, uh, we're looking at that June 6th date for our first in-person gathering since March of last year. And um, as we look forward to coming back together as a church after what has been a challenging season in so many ways, I think we all acknowledge the fact that we're not going to be coming back to the same church. And I'm not just talking about our church, which in and of itself has changed drastically since the last time we were together, um, but I'm also talking about the Capital C Church. You know, I think it would be safe to say that there has never been another season in our lifetime when the Big C Church has had such a reckoning, when all of us have had to take a hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what do we really believe about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him? And these are all questions we should be asking as we prepare to re return to in-person gatherings. You know, it's like uh, when you've lived at home with your parents your entire life, and then you leave for college, and then you have to come back to live with them again. It's never going back to what it was like before you left, right? You've changed without them. And honestly, they've changed without you. And so you can't just kind of go back and expect that things are just going to be back to normal. And I think the same goes for the church. 
you know, we've all changed as a result of this pandemic, as a result of everything that we've seen and experienced this past year. Uh, you know, we can't just unsee these things. And all of us are going to have to figure out what it means to be the church in light of all of this. And so as I thought about uh, kind of what series we could do for the next seven weeks before we officially reopen the church, I thought, you know, why don't we do a series on the seven churches of Revelation? And, and I think it's a series that's going to force all of us to ask the question, what kind of church do we want to be in this next chapter of Citizens? Um, you know, uh, we didn't plan this, but I think it was very providential that our guest speaker last week spoke on Revelation 4, and uh, he kind of unintentionally introduced this series for us. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the book of Revelation recently, and understandably so. I mean, there is no way you could have watched the events of this past year unfold, even the events of this past week unfold, and not at least wonder at some point, is this the end, Lord? You know, is, is this the end? Are, the, are these the end times? You know, I asked our youth students last week, what's one book in the Bible you'd want to learn more about? You know what they said? Revelation. I was shocked because I didn't want to go near Revelation when I was a kid. But you see, there's something about this year that just feels apocalyptic. That feels like the whole world is falling apart. Now, typically, uh, when you think about Revelation, my guess is that uh, if you've grown up in the church, your mind probably goes to some really dark, ominous, uh, dystopian reality with monsters and horsemen and the Antichrist and people getting raptured left and right. Uh, believe it or not, the words Antichrist and rapture, they don't even appear in Revelation. Okay? And, and what most people don't realize is that the primary purpose of apocalyptic literature, which is the genre of literature that Revelation falls under, is not to predict the future or to scare God's people into obedience. The purpose of a book like Revelation is actually to sustain God's people in times of crisis. It's to show us the end of the story so that we can endure the suspense of the middle. And this book is specifically addressed to seven churches in Asia Minor. And just to give you some context, uh, what's happening right now in the backdrop is that Christians are under intense persecution for their faith. Okay, so most biblical scholars uh, would agree that Revelation was written during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero, okay, who was notorious for hating Christians and persecuting them in large numbers. And so that was a time when you couldn't just be a nominal Christian. You know, you couldn't just be someone who, you know, went to church every week but was kind of apathetic about your faith because living out your faith had huge social and political consequences. People lost friends and family members and job opportunities because of their allegiance to Jesus. And so the church had to respond to this and every church responded differently. You know, some churches stayed silent because they didn't want to stir the pot and get in trouble. Some churches dug their heels deeper into their convictions. Some just became apathetic, you know, and, and some just accommodated the culture altogether. And, and if you think about it, it's not so different from what we're seeing today. Every church in 2020 and 2021 has had to make a decision on how they were going to follow Jesus amidst these crazy times. You couldn't just be neutral anymore. And so John, uh, he records seven letters from Jesus to seven 
different churches, okay? And each of them includes a unique message specific to that church. Okay, and we're not doing this series uh, so we can point fingers at other churches and other Christians and say, you're doing it wrong. We're doing this series so we can examine ourselves. Because let's be honest, we always think our version of Christianity and our church is the right version. Um, but what we're hopefully going to see through this series is how much all of us miss the mark when it comes to knowing how to follow Jesus faithfully in our present moment. Okay? So uh, let's jump right in here. Uh, the first letter we're looking at today is Jesus' letter to the church in Ephesus. And uh, Ephesus uh, was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a major port city. It was a place of great power and art. And right off the bat, it seems like this church is killing it, right? First thing Jesus says in verse 2 is this. Uh, verse 2 and 3. I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Meaning, you've done everything right. You've worked hard. You know your word. In fact, you know your doctrine so well, you've been able to identify which people in your church are false prophets. You haven't compromised on your convictions. You've stood up for the right things even when it got really tiring to do so. I mean, if you're a member of the church in Ephesus and you're reading this, like, you're really happy. You're feeling really good about yourself because it seems like all Jesus is doing is praising you. But then full stop. Just when they thought they were doing everything right, Jesus says this in verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. The message translation says, You walked away from your first love. In other words, you did everything right, and you still got it wrong. You know, all you married people tuning in know exactly what I'm talking about here. This is what almost every fight in marriage sounds like, right? You have one person who says, what more do you want me to do? You said you want me to help out more around the house. Did you not see that I did the dishes every day last week? You said you want me to help out more with the kids. Did I not watch them so you could have your meeting? Did I not take them to soccer practice? You asked for a date night. Did we not go out on four date nights last month? And what does every spouse say in response? That's not the point. When I said what I said, it wasn't because I needed you to do X, Y, and Z. I said what I said because I just don't feel loved. You can do everything right and still be wrong. I think about what Paul says in his letters, letter to the Corinthians when he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing." In other words, you can check everything off the spiritual to-do list. You can pray and read your Bible every day, but if you don't have love, you might as well have nothing. 
Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Jesus did so many things throughout the course of his ministry, and yet when he was asked to boil it all down to one thing, he said, it's love. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, the one way the world will know you're my disciple is not by your right doctrine, it's not by your fancy church programs, He says, they will know you are my disciple by your love. Why do you think the American Evangelical Church has lost its credibility and witness? Why is it that there's a mass exodus out of the church by young people right now? We've lost love. People look at Christians and they do not see Jesus because they do not see love. Um, There was an article published in Relevant Magazine last week about a phenomenon that has taken the church by storm in recent years. And it's a movement uh, around deconstruction. And what you're seeing uh, is basically this, this movement of people who've been raised in the church who've all started to rethink and challenge their long-held beliefs about God. And and this has led to a lot of people, uh, some very famous people, renouncing their faith altogether. And every church leader is talking about this right now, and everyone's worried. They're asking, how do we fix this? What do we need to do to keep people from walking away from the church? But what this article argues is that maybe, just maybe, This deconstruction we're seeing right now is from God himself to bring people back to the main thing, love. Uh, Curtis Vanderpool, who wrote the article, he says this, who could really blame a person for walking away from a religion when it has been so intertwined with systems of greed, oppression, manipulation, and control? People are not deconstructing because they wanna hear theology that tickles their ears. They are deconstructing because most churches have forgotten the core principle of Jesus' ministry. They have forgotten their first love. What an indictment on all of us. You know, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of resounding gongs and clanging cymbals crowding my social media feed right now. A lot of people fighting to be right. A lot of people condemning, judging, demonizing, gatekeeping and the sad part about it is that so many of the people doing this are so-called followers of jesus sometimes uh, i'll see the craziest post on my explore feed and i click on the person's bio and they have a bible verse there and it's like are we now at the point where we as christians don't even notice that love has left the building you know uh, if you talk to anyone in any industry they will tell you that there always comes a point when you forget why you even got into the field in the first place. Now, I can definitely say that uh, even in ministry. You know, even the noblest of professions can become just a job. Helping people can become just a job. And it doesn't matter if you're succeeding or you're the best at what you do. You do something long enough and it's very easy to lose that fire you had at the beginning. This is why you hear so many stories of athletes leaving their sport at the prime of their careers because so many of them say, I don't even know when it happened, but I just lost the love of the game. My life became all about stat chasing and sneaker deals and endorsements. 
And to be honest, uh, I just missed playing basketball with my dad on my driveway. Somewhere along the line, I just started going through the motions and I lost the love I used to have. And we hate to see this happen, but we've all experienced it. And I think especially as Christians, uh, we can relate to this. You know, so much of our faith uh, has just become doing the right things. You know, knowing the right theology, reciting the tired cliches, going through the motions, and in the process, we've lost the love we had at first. We've lost our love of God and our love of neighbor. And the two are intimately connected because you can't say you love God and hate your neighbor. Because you see, we naturally become what we behold. And if we behold and worship a God who the Bible says is love, then we too will inevitably become an embodiment of that love. As the philosopher Jamie Smith famously writes, you are what you love. And so I want you to take a moment and and think about your life. Think about your most recent conversations with your friends or your siblings or your spouse. Uh, Think about your reactions to people you've encountered on social media. Uh, Think about the way you've talked to your coworkers or talked about them. Does it look like love? Because if it doesn't, it really doesn't matter if you go to church every Sunday. It doesn't matter how much you serve or how much you know. You've lost the most foundational part of what it means to follow Jesus. Well, if that's true, how do we then recover the love we had at first? And I I think we see two things here in our text. You remember and you repent. Notice in verse 5 it says, Consider how far you've fallen. King James says, Remember from where you've fallen. Remembering is a spiritual discipline. Uh, You know, when I was pursuing music full-time, Uh, One thing I used to do, uh, even after I didn't have to anymore, was uh, I used to go play this Tuesday night open mic every week at this small coffee house in Philly called Milk Boy. And um, for those of you who've ever tried to make it in music, uh, you know that at some point, so much of your time gets spent on, you know, photo shoots and music videos and creating promotional materials that you actually forget to play music just for the fun of it. And and, and so I used to go to go play this open mic every week and sometimes it was for like five people. Um, And I loved it though, because it allowed me to remember why I fell in love with music to begin with. And I think many of us need to do that with God. We need to just spend some time in His presence to remember what it was like to just worship to just enjoy Him for who He is. Sometimes we can be doing everything for God and miss God in the whole process. Well, not only does it say to remember, Jesus also goes on to say, repent. Notice what it says at the end of verse 5. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That word repent there means to turn from something, to change direction. And so let me ask all of you today, what are the other loves that have replaced your first love that you have to turn from? And here's the irony of it all, is that anything you love other than God will make you a less loving person. 
If you love your career more than anything, you will step on people to get to the top. You will neglect your family. You will lie, cheat, steal, throw people under the bus. You will do whatever you have to to succeed. If you love politics more than anything, you will demonize anyone who disagrees with you and you will have no problem blasting them on social media. We're seeing it happen right now. If you love a relationship more than anything, I guarantee you, you will force whoever you're in that relationship with to become your savior and you will force them to bear the brunt of your impossible expectations. And here's the saddest part of it all. None of these things you love will ever love you back. Your career will never love you the way you love it. Your wealth will never love you the way you love it. Your fame will never love you the way you love it. You know how we know this? Because these things will only be there for you when you're performing, and they will shame you when you're not. They will always make you feel less than. They will always make you feel like you need to do more. They will always make you more bitter and less gracious, but not Jesus. Jesus is the only one who will love you eternally and unconditionally. And we know this because while we were his enemies, he died for us. And he gave and gave and gave until he had nothing left to give. Why? So that you and I would be given the right to become children of God. And this is what he says in verse 7. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who is victorious. And friends, we are victorious not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done on our behalf. First John 4.10 This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So how do we return to our first love? How do we move from being people who just go through the religious motions to people who truly love God and love others? We can only do that to the degree that we know how much Jesus loves us. We love because he first loved us. Friends, I believe that what the world needs now more than ever is for the church to recover the love it had at first. In this world full of division, hostility, and hatred, may we be a people known not for our knowledge or our righteousness or our religious activities, but for our love. Let's pray. God of mercy, we confess that we've lost our way. We've turned our faith into a list of do's and don'ts, and we've forgotten what it was like to just sit in your presence and receive the love you freely offer us in Jesus. We recognize that when so many people look at the church now, they often do not see love. Lord, bring us back to your heart. We need you more than anything. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.